it's a dangerous job because you don't know what that person is going to do. You have to constantly be aware that something could go wrong and you got to be ready to deal with it. Introducing The Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. Welcome to today's podcast. I am with Mark Solomon. Mark, how are you doing today? Mike, I'm doing great and uh, glad to be back with you here again on another podcast episode. And uh, I look forward to our next guest. Yeah, Mark, it seems like a couple of episodes uh, we've had guests from the international conference that was held in uh, National Harbor, Maryland. But I'm glad to be back with you. And we have another great guest today. Mark, we've talked about this, you and I, about honoring and saluting our fellow police officers. And we talked about bringing on a special guest. And I'd like to introduce Phil Klein in a career that spanned more than 39 years with the Chicago Police Department. Phil began as a cadet in 1968 and retired as superintendent in 2007, climbing the ranks in the patrol division, the narcotics and gain investigative section, and the detective division. As superintendent of the nation's second largest police department, Klein led a force of 13,500 sworn and 3,000 civilian personnel. Klein introduced violence reduction strategies that led to a 25% reduction in homicides and a 40% reduction in shootings, the lowest number of homicides in Chicago in over 40 years. Klein was instrumental in establishing the Chicago Police Memorial Foundation and serves as executive director. He led efforts to build a world-class police memorial on the city's lakefront, which I visited, and continues to raise funds to support the families of fallen and catastrophically injured officers. So welcome, Phil Klein. How are you doing? Good. Thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate getting invited to be on your show. Well, Phil, we remember you from last year when we had our international conference here in Chicago. You were one of our uh, keynote speakers, and you were outstanding. So we want to invite you back and just have a conversation with you about the Chicago Police Memorial Foundation and what you do with that. You are the executive director, but can you tell us a little more about the Chicago Police Memorial Foundation? Sure. When I became superintendent back in 2003, I would travel to other cities for, like, the major city chiefs meetings and uh, and other meetings. And uh, I saw every major city I went to had a public uh, memorial to police officers killed in line of duty. And Chicago didn't. We had a star case that was in the police headquarters, but unless you had business at police headquarters, you wouldn't see it. So I asked the Gold Star families, which are the families of police officers killed in line of duty, if they would like to see a wall that would have the names of the officers. And uh, they all said yes, they were excited about it. So we got together and uh, started raising money. We raised three million bucks in three years. And uh, we built what we think is the finest memorial in the country. And once that was built, we figured, you know, we got this rolling, let's see what we can do. So we uh, started with families that had kids going to school. We picked up the check for uh, all the school fees, uh, tuition, they can go from preschool to grad school and not have to pay a dime of tuition or any uh, fees for uh, going to school. So we got 22 kids that are taking advantage of that right now. 
And uh, we also have uh, several catastrophically injured officers who their children are also taking advantage of it. So it's been a great ride, and uh, to help these families, uh, we owe so much to these families. And, Phil, thank you for what you're doing. And and like I said, you know, I, I come from a law enforcement family. My father was a police officer. I was for 26 years, and, and Mike, obviously, uh, uh, a lengthy career uh, in federal law enforcement. And, you know, the general public doesn't understand, you know, for most people, their worst day at work, they might get fired. But when it comes to police officers and first responders, you know, they may not come home. And, and I want to commend you what you're doing in, in the city of Chicago uh, and honoring these uh, fallen officers or the officers that are injured. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that a police officer's death or serious injury has on the family? Sure. I mean, everybody comes together for the funeral, and uh, then once that uh, officer is buried and uh, the time goes by, they tend to be forgotten, and that's where we step in. Uh, Our motto is never forget, and we want to make sure that these families are taken care of. So it's important that uh, not only that we help them financially, but we help them in other ways, too, and let them know that they're not forgotten. And it's important. We got 595 names on our wall. That's police officers that have been killed in line of duty since the mid 1800s, and uh, it's a uh, it's a very rewarding uh, career for me to work with these families, see these kids grow up. Uh, we have one that's starting pre med at Georgetown, so uh, wow. we're real proud of her. And her father, uh, Cedric Brumley, was uh, seriously injured and paralyzed in a squad car crash. It's amazing when you see tragedy and, 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 you know, a group like yours could come in and, and make something positive out of a horrible situation, and, and we appreciate what your foundation is doing. Yeah, and we've, we've given out $16 million now in assistance since 2007 when we started what we call the Mission Beyond the Memorial. So it's really been helpful to the families, and plus it also gives the citizens and and other people a way to to help uh, they see that what what we're doing and uh, they like it so they'll support it so that's what's good we had our valor dinner the other night at the uh, theater on the lake uh, great surroundings uh, all kinds of families there and we had the horses and the dogs and the boats and um we had uh, a, a lot of people there but there was we honored 13 cops that were shot last year 13 i mean when you think of that that's crazy i mean and as I mentioned before the show, just a matter of a couple inches with one of those bullets, and we could have had 13 killed. So we were raising money for bulletproof vests for the uh, police. The police in Chicago get a vest when they come on the job, but that's it. Anything after that, they got to supply themselves. So after five years, that's when the manufacturer says that the vests expire. They have to pay for it themselves. So we've stepped up and We've bought 13,000 vests in the last five years, so we're helping those families and helping those cops get home. Phil, like you, I'm also from Chicago, and uh, I remember the memorial and the wall. I'm trying to think the year it was dedicated because I was there, and I I know it's right over by Soldier's Field, right behind uh, the stadium there. What year was that? Do you remember? 2006. 2006, wow. Because I was there with my aunt and my cousins in, in honor of my cousin, uh, who was killed in the line of duty back on March 3rd, 1970. And I do remember, well, at that time, I'm not sure how many names, but all the names were mentioned one at a time in salute of all the fallen officers. Yes, when we have our candlelight vigil every year, 
we read the names of every officer. And it takes, you know, half hour to do that, but we owe that to them and to their family. And I've met the families of these officers, and uh, they're so appreciative of it, and uh, they come every year. I mean, to them, that's sacred ground there for them because the name of their loved one is on the wall. So we're glad that we were able to help. Phil, can you talk a little, you spent 37 years with the Chicago Police Department rising up through the ranks, and can you explain some of the difficulties um, in law enforcement and the things that police officers and other first responders have to go through on a daily basis? You know, our audience, uh, they have a great appreciation for law enforcement and first responders, but maybe somebody's tuning in for the first time, and maybe they don't understand how difficult the job it is sometimes. I mean, it's a dangerous job because you don't know what that person is going to do. That person is planning in their head how they're going to escape. They don't want to go back to jail. But you don't know. You have to treat everybody the same, and uh, you have to constantly be aware that uh, something could go wrong, and you got to be ready to deal with it. But I think the secondary thing is, is what really frustrates the police and frustrates, I know, postal inspectors that I work with, is where we can't get people to prosecute. And uh, big companies won't prosecute uh, credit card fraud. And right now, you saw what happened here when we had a new state's attorney in. She reduced uh, felonies to misdemeanors for the first 10 convictions on uh, shoplifting. So, I mean, what you're, the message you're sending out there to the criminal is that they can go ahead and commit crimes because nobody's going to prosecute them. That's the hardest thing with property crimes is getting prosecution. Yeah, Phil, I hear what you're saying, you know. Crime is up, not only in Chicago, but nationwide. I mean, it's a fact. And um, I was going to ask you, if you were to give our listeners some advice on how to protect themselves from not being a victim of a crime, let alone a violent crime, what, what would you suggest? Well, like on carjacking, when you're in traffic, always leave a car length between you and the car in front of you. So if you do see something going down, you can get away. And then another thing is, if they have guns or if they pretend they have guns, give them the car. Don't be a hero and and be a dead hero. Uh, You can always get another car. You can't get another life. So uh, if they get the drop on you and and you're going to have to give up your car, give it up, and we'll find it for you and get it back to you. And uh, Phil, for the record, I, I say at least two to three car lengths behind Mike because he's just a very bad driver. But um, I know that's <laughs> not related to crime, but uh, he's put a couple of dents in my cars over the years. So It's another good reason. <laughs> so, um, Phil, what was it like going up through the ranks and eventually being the superintendent of a, a large metropolitan police department? Uh, did you have any family uh, previously in law enforcement? Were you the first one? And, no. And how, how challenging was that? My dad was a fireman for 36 years, and my oh, son's awesome. been a Chicago policeman for 25 years. So wow. public service runs in the family. But uh, it, was, uh, it was a great job, and uh, you know, I looked at it as uh, something that I enjoyed doing. And, you know, it's the old adage of uh, if you find a job you love, you never have to work a day in your life. That's true, and it was true in the case for me. And uh, I was uh, happy to uh, serve the citizens of Chicago. And what was better was working with uh, fellow cops and fellow federal law enforcement officers like you guys. And uh, we did a lot of good work. And... Uh, when I got to be superintendent, I knew what was needed out in the field, so I was able to get it for them. 
I found out, you know, the, the cars they were getting weren't good for two-man cars, and uh, so we were able to switch to a different contract with another dealer and get a bigger car for the officers, and a lot of things like that that helped. But most of all was uh, relationships I built up over the years. I was able to use them to help reduce crime. Well, you did a great job, that's that's for sure. Do you still get together with officers, former officers that you worked with for a beer or a coffee every now and then? Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, that's, that's who uh, your stories are from. Yep. Uh, you got to tell them to somebody that's tired of listening to them. So, you know, you hope they bring somebody new. But, uh, no, it's uh, those those are friendships that you value, and uh, I, I still see some of those people. Yeah, I missed that too, Phil. I mean, working, you know, with the inspection service for a long time, I mean, the camaraderie, you know, especially with Chicago police, we were always working together, you know, worked with financial crimes a lot. And uh, just the camaraderie developed. And even after work, you know, getting together, whether it's a family function or just stopping to have a, a beer or something, you know, I missed that. I still keep in contact with a lot of former officers, though, that, that I met throughout the years. Those were good times. You want to remember and it's funny, you know, Phil, I know they refer, you know, people in law enforcement and military first responders as, you know, brothers and sisters because it goes beyond just a, a work friendship. It's you are family. I mean, you depend on each other to protect each other, uh, may have to lay down your life for, for one of your fellow coworkers. So, you know, people don't understand that bond that, that it lasts a lifetime well after you're retired. And, I mean, you're a great example of here. You retired after 37 years in law enforcement but jumped right back into helping law enforcement and their families. So, uh, you know, there is that family bond, uh, you know, that can't be broken. No, it's so true. I mean, and it really makes a difference. Uh, you know that you were going up that dark staircase that uh, – the guy on either side of you would literally give up their life to save yours. Yeah. When you have a bond with people like that, it's uh, tough to let it go. Hey, Phil, I got I got to mention, you know, and you, you obviously you're aware of this, you know, having a cousin killed in line of duty March 3rd, 1970. You know, when I was growing up, our neighborhood, the police were well respected. My cousin lived right across the street from us, and when he came over to visit you know, my mom and his mom were sisters. When he came over to visit, he walked down the street, and everybody would come out and wave to him. You know, come on over, Tommy, have something to eat. Or cars driving by would honk when they see him because he was well-respected. And he's the one that got me into law enforcement. I remember coming over, and he's, he actually pulled his gun out and, you know, handed it to me. Here, see how heavy this is. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's heavy. And uh, I got so interested in getting into law enforcement because of him. And then, tragically, he got killed in the light of duty. And I got to tell you, our family's never been the same, never. Um, I feel so sorry for my aunt. You know, she lived next door to us when we moved. And every time I go over there, she'd always hold this picture on her chest and it just sanding. And then to go along with that, Phil, you know, the person that did this was caught and got the death penalty. Then it was overturned. So now you got to go to these parole hearings. And for I don't know how many years my aunt had to go to Cook County to the jail or out to Statesville, wherever it might be, and have to go in and tell the same story. They couldn't, you know, her or my cousins couldn't get a word out, you know, and it just overwhelmed with sadness because they had to repeat everything, how much they miss them. And, you know, it, it just it just gets me upset every time I, I, I think about it. But I'm sure you have a lot of stories like this throughout your career. 
Well, you know, what we do is uh, we send officers down to Springfield. Uh, when there's a parole hearing, we get 22 officers, one from each district in uniform, and they go down to Springfield for what's called the embank hearing. And hopefully those people that make the decision see those 22 cops in there and realize they're representing 13,000 cops and uh, keep them in jail. I mean, the guy already got a break when he went from the death penalty to whatever kind of a sentence. And the judges would give 200 to 400 years. So, I mean, you know their intent was to keep these guys in jail. But they're all getting out now, and their their excuses are, well, they're in their 70s, and they're no longer a threat. And Yeah, but how about the poor officer that got killed and his family? They don't think that way. I've never seen the pendulum swing wrong against victims and police like it is now. No, and it's, you know, like I said, we're seeing a trend, like you said, more more violent criminals, um, people that are cop killers that are getting out now because of policies that I just can't understand. And, and like I said, that officer didn't get a second chance. Um, you know, his family didn't get a second chance. They didn't get to say goodbye to their loved ones. And why should this person have that opportunity? You know, like I said, I think the place for them until they meet their maker is, is in prison. And, you know, I think uh, a lot of our audience uh, feels that same way. And But, you know, Phil, I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on your foundation. If people want to give to your foundation, how can they get a hold of you? We're going to put your uh, website in the show notes. But how can they reach out? How can they help the Chicago Police Memorial Fund? Our website is cpdmemorial.org, and uh, it gives you several choices what you can do with your donation. If you want it to be for the education, if you want it to be for get buying the vest, which buys vests for Chicago police officers, you have those choices. And we'll send you out a brochure that talks about all the things we're doing. Uh, at Christmas time, we do a thing called Operation Santa, where we uh, go hit the homes of those police officers that were killed in line of duty who still have children in school. And Santa comes and brings gifts to all the kids and Every capper that goes on that says that's the best day of their year. So it's something that uh, we're able to do. And there again, not forget the families and show those kids that even though their mom or dad might not be here, they got 13,000 moms and dads that are going to make sure that they get what they should have. That's some incredible work. Hey, Phil, I remember at last year's conference where you were attended here in Chicago, You again, you were the keynote speaker, and after you were selling some merchandise there to help benefit the Chicago Police Memorial Foundation, a lot of great stuff you were selling. Uh, but isn't there other things anybody that goes on the website they can do also to support the Chicago Police Memorial Fund? Sure. We have a 5K run walk in the spring of our year in May. We have a motorcycle ride in July, which is really kind of cool. It starts out at Harrison and Kedzie which is the area for headquarters for the detectives, and they're the ones that started this 20 years ago. And the motorcycle ride winds its way through all the uh, boulevards in Chicago, comes out on Lakeshore Drive and ends at the memorial where there's a a service. And uh, we have a candlelight vigil that people are invited to also in September. All they need to do is, uh, when they get on the website, put their name and email address in there, and we'll make sure that they're aware of all the different events we have going. Hey, Phil, I want to mention one more thing. I was talking to my cousin. There was a horse uh, that was named after my cousin. Is that something that, are you participating in that too? Yeah, I mean, every every uh, horse and boat gets named for a police officer killed in the line of duty. So uh, the latest one is for Ella French, who uh, died a little over a year ago. 
Well, it's good that you're keeping their memories alive and, and, you know, not, not only within the law enforcement community, but within the public, you know? So, uh, Phil, uh, a couple of things. One, uh, I want to volunteer Mike Carroll. If you need an extra Santa, I am in Connecticut, so it's a little far for me to travel. But I know Mike would, uh, if you need a Santa for that run, I know he will volunteer in a heartbeat. Oh, so, brother. All right. <laughs> he likes to dress up in different costumes. Halloween's his big uh, season. But, uh, you know, I definitely he likes Christmas, too. So I want to volunteer, uh, Mike, on our, our behalf of the IFCI here. Well, he won't need a pillow. I could be all right. <laughs> Phil, if there's one message uh, that you could give out to the public here, you know, to let the public, uh, you know, show some appreciation for law enforcement. It's a difficult job. And in any job, there's good apples and bad apples and people that shouldn't be police officers. But the overwhelming majority do a great job. They're put in very difficult situations. What's something the public can do to support police just in their everyday jobs? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is tell police officers thank you. I mean, when you see a cop walking down the street or driving by in a squad car, give them a wave and just say thanks. And uh, the officers appreciate that because they know what's going on right now. They see the, the anti-police sentiment that's out on the street, and that's a minority that's in that anti-police right. sentiment. The majority of people love the cops and love their protection because what do they do? Not one of those 595 cops was killed protecting their own property or their own house. They were protecting somebody else when they killed, and people have to remember that. Such a, a valid point, and, and like I said, our, I know the great majority of our community does support first responders, law enforcement, firemen, military, and I think it's that small percentage that unfortunately uh, you hear the most noise from, and, and again... I think our good citizens can drown out that negativity that we're hearing from that small section of our community. So, The other thing is they need to support the politicians that, that support the police. I mean, you have enough out there that want to defund the police. Well, there's, there's politicians out there that are supportive of the police, so that's the ones that we need to get in office. Yeah, I don't quite understand defund the police. I never under, understood that when the police are there to serve and protect, and that's what they do. They're there to protect you. Why would you want to defund the police? I never never understood that. There'd be total anarchy if we had no police officers. Hey, Phil, I mentioned before about my cousin who was killed in the line of duty March 3, 1970. Uh, the person responsible, he, he uh, about two years ago, was admitted to the hospital and he passed. But I think you remember, too, he, my cousin was like two weeks away from getting married, and then his fiance married another police officer, and then he got killed in a line of duty. Remember Patrick Crowley? Yeah, September Crowley 1976. And, uh, yeah. Right. Your cousin's uh, partner was Tom Newstrom that day. Right. I later worked with him in narcotics, but he never forgot that, Tom Kelly. Uh -huh. So, Phil, we thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for you know not only serving the city of Chicago for 37 years, but continuing to serve it the past 15 years with the Chicago Police Memorial Fund. You know, we really appreciate what you're doing. Um, tell all our listeners out there, listen, you know, this uh, foundation is worthy and please uh, support them in every way so they could support the uh, fine men and women in blue that go out there and serve the city of Chicago every day. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, and Phil, hope to see you at one of these events. I know a couple years ago I was at the uh, golf fundraiser, and that was outstanding. Hope to do that again next year or another event. Hope to see you there. Well, you know, they said you were cheating. You were hitting the ball with your foot to make it closer <laughs> to the hole. So I, I thought it was miniature golf. I got there. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Boy, this, is seri- this is serious stuff. Boy, you know Mike Carroll very well, Phil. I'll tell you. It was good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, hey, send me the date for the, the Santa um, when you go out because, like I said, I'll make sure Mike's there. So he's got to represent the IFCI for us. You got it, guys. Thanks. <laughs> All right, Phil, have a great week, and uh, thanks for what you do. Thanks, Phil. Stay safe, guys. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.